Welcome. You're listening to The Sacristy, a podcast where we seek to learn, discuss, and exalt in the faith delivered once for all to the saints as it has been passed down in the Anglican tradition. I'm Father David Bumstead, the rector of Emmanuel Episcopal Church in the Audubon Park neighborhood of Orlando, Florida, and I'm joined by my superlative co-host, Father Matthew Ainsley, the prospective vicar of All Souls Episcopal Church, a church plant in Horizon West, Florida, which will have its first service in 26 days. Who's counting? <laughs> I am. Who's panicking? That's the real question. Oh, man, that's so awesome. As you can hear, we're real, pe- real priests with real jobs and real churches. Service time's in our bio. We'd love for you to join us for worship if you're ever in town with us. And no matter where you hail from, Apparently, we have listeners from all over the world. Yeah, it looks that way. You know, uh, we are able to get an idea of where people listen from. And, you know, we've, we've, we're so thankful for uh, folks taking a chance to uh, to listen to us. But we're really kind of surprised at where, where we're seeing yeah. some of these. And when we say general idea, we mean exact latitude and longitude. <laughs> no, not we're exactly. watching you. Oh, my gosh. Wow. We're not actually watching you. <laughs> But we have all your addresses and your social security numbers if you're American citizens. Yeah, which is why people should use a, a VPN, right? <laughs> or maybe that's why we have... But we can see the city, the, yeah. general, the general area, and it's pretty cool. It is pretty cool. Uh, so here's some of the crazy places where we're kind of surprised we have folks listening. So we're hoping that they're actual listeners and not bots or VPN bounces. Uh, so we have a listener in Rock Bank, Australia. Hi. Okay. Yeah, I think a couple listeners in Australia. Yeah, perhaps. somebody else in Adelaide, I think. Is it one? Yeah. yeah. Rock Bank is remote, right? Seems pretty remote, but I don't know Australia as well as I ought to. <laughs> yeah, I just know it's way far away from us. Yeah. That's, and it's an island. Yeah. And I want to go there. Definitely want to go there, for sure. Great place. And then also another country, mm-hmm. St. John, Canada. St. John, Canada. Montreal. I'm surprised Well, by... we have a friend in Montreal. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Good. John Jameson. Hi, John. Oh, thanks for listening. Yeah. But yeah, St. John, who knew? Uh, so anyway, uh, wherever you are on uh, in this great planet of ours, thank you for listening. And if you are from one of these places that we've mentioned, hey, you. Thanks. Hi. Yes. You personally. So pretty cool. One of the good things about the internet. Yeah, one of the few. <laughs> one of the few good things about the internet. It's kind of cool you can... Connect with people. Yeah, super cool. Whom otherwise you wouldn't be able to. Totally. I agree with that. So uh, you're listening today for um, one of our mini-sodes, what we call a lesser feast. This is our third one. And we're uh, doing a bit of sermon prep for the 18th Sunday after Pentecost. We're going to go through a little bit of the calendar as we do and then get right into looking at this week's scripture. Father Matt? Father David, the Lord be with you. With thy spirit. Let us pray. Lord, we pray that thy grace may always proceed and follow us and make us continually to be given to all good works through Jesus Christ our Lord, who liveth and reigneth with thee in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Coming up in the calendar, we have on October 14th, Samuel Isaac 
Shiroshevsky, who was the Bishop of Shanghai in the uh, late 19th and early 20th centuries. He founded St. John's University there and translated the scriptures into uh, the Mandarin language. On October 15th, we remember Teresa of Avila died uh, 1582. She is a doctor of the church, of the Roman church. She is a nun and spiritual master, among many other things, uh, but she is a writer of many great works, but probably her best known is The Interior Castle, one of the great works of, uh, of Christian spirituality worth your time. On October 16th, the church remembers Hugh Latimer and Nicholas Ridley, uh, martyred in 1555 bishops, and Oxford martyrs of the English Reformation under Queen Mary, uh, Latimer known for being a preacher, inviting sinners to a holy life, Ridley was a friend and chaplain to Thomas Cranmer and helped put together the prayer book as we know it and love it. On October 17th, we remember Ignatius of Antioch, who died in the year 115. He was a very early bishop, arrested to be executed in the arena, was being dragged off to Rome and encouraged the faithful on this road to martyrdom. We still have many of his letters to the Ephesians, to the Magnesians, to the Tralians, to the Philadelphians and the Smyrnians. We have one to the Romans and even one to Polycarp, a very ancient bishop who apparently knew the Apostle John. Which he is did. Really cool. Yeah, so he's really early. He yeah. died circa 110. Yeah. So just to give you some perspective, our audience, the Gospel of John and the Book of Revelation, the epistles were written at the end of the first century 95 to 100 AD in there. So this is really, really soon. soon. One of the yeah. apostolic fathers, as they're called. And one of the things that strikes me about Ignatius of Antioch is his strong Eucharistic theology, mm-hmm. even that early, how developed it is, and particularly his emphasis on the real, that is the corporeal presence of our Lord in the sacrament. And so if you want to look up some of his quotes on the Eucharist, you will not be disappointed. And, and really, and beyond that, yes, of course, Father Matt, but beyond that, getting an idea of what, what was the church like, um, even in that, that period just after uh, the first missionary journey, and like seeing the church develop as a real, a group of real people uh, worshiping Jesus, really, really cool. And there's a, there's a certain, when you read them, there's an aspect that they feel like the Bible. Yes. Um, which is really neat because... Same thing with like Clement of Rome. Right, when you read yeah. their letters, it, it reads like an a, epistle in the New Testament yeah. because you know, they're not far off in right. terms of just the time of writing. So really, really neat stuff. Worth your time. Uh, absolutely. We keep saying that, but hey, you should do your homework. <laughs> <laughs> Closing out, on October 18th, the church remembers a major feast is uh, the St. Luke the Evangelist, who was a Gentile convert and a physician, a friend of Paul, who was hired by Theophilus to write an orderly account of the gospel of Jesus Christ. One of the best podcasts that I've, I've listened to in a long while is uh, the Bible Projects podcast. They're excellent, great resource, both in video form and podcast form for um, sermon prep, for just enjoying the Bible better, all kinds of stuff. And they have a whole series of podcasts on Luke from, I think, a few years ago, and they're fantastic. And if you really want to take a, just a look under the hood of how Luke as a gospel works, and then uh, even look into to Acts as well, the Acts of the Apostles, you can do you can do a lot worse. But Yeah, and they just did a recent series, and I think they're still in it, on 
what is the gospel? What yeah. are the gospels? And they do a great overview of the gospel of Luke and, and how, why do we have four gospels and how are they different in their approach and their style and background? And again, just a great resource, whether you're a lay person or yeah. a scholar, I think you'll learn something. I learn something every time I every listen time, to it. Every time, every time. Um, and they just seem like nice guys. So good for you. <laughs> Thanks. We appreciate it. Because they need that, right? <laughs> With like millions of <laughs> listeners and stuff. Luke, definitely my favorite gospel, I think. The more I get into it, the more I really, really enjoy it, the more I really love how it's put together. Luke in primacy? I'm just kidding. <laughs> Luke in primacy. N- n- nerdy theology joke. <laughs> we'll move on. <laughs> no, not exactly. Uh, but anyway, yeah, so where are we this week, Father Matt? We are again in the 18th Sunday after Pentecost. And so we are in track two of Ordinary Time using the Revised Common Lectionary. And so we'll begin with 2 Kings chapter 5, and we'll just jump right into our sermon first past here, which is the story of Naaman, the Gentile commander of the army of the king of Aram, who has leprosy, who ends up being healed by Elisha via the waters of the Jordan River. Mm Mm-hmm. So are you preaching this weekend? I am preaching this okay, weekend. Okay, good. Yeah. I'm not. I'm kind of in that weird church yeah. planner phase where I'm, I've phased out of my current role pretty much, and I'm waiting to start. So I'm off again. Oh, that's nice. But I'll, but I'll tell you text. what I was. I would be preaching about You know, next time we come around to it. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> the, well, the story from first, for, excuse me, from 2 Kings is, um, it's one of those things that it comes around every three years, but it doesn't, it when you read it again, you're like, oh, this is awesome. So, Father Matt, maybe we could, um, instead of reading the whole thing, maybe we could summarize what's going on in this text, Second Kings 5, 1 through 3, 7 through 15. So, again, Naaman is a Gentile. He's a commander of the army of the king of Aram, and he has leprosy, which is a really bad thing to have just as a medical condition. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> Even <a> cr- now. <laughs> but across cultures, it seems as I've read that it's just seen as a sign of disfavor, right. you know, both within, of course, the worshiping community of Israel, but even in other worshiping communities in the ancient near East. And he hears about, uh, through actually a girl that's been taken young girl that has been taken captive from the land of Israel, who serves Naaman's wife. wife, hears about Elisha, And that he has these powers to heal. And she says, if only my Lord were the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of of his his leprosy. leprosy. I love that promise. It's so cool. So what ends up happening is his king sends a ton of money to the king of Israel. (laughs) Yeah. How much money did you find out? Or is it like... uh, It was phrased that, you know, it's hard to adjust for inflation when you go that far back. But they were estimating that in just in terms of buying power, it was the equivalent of 750 million U.S. dollars. (laughs) So when that much is sent. Yeah. uh, Naaman's attitude about how Elisha deals with him makes a little bit more sense. So a ton of money sent a letter and the king of Israel actually gets mad when he gets this letter because it's. It's like, you can't buy healing. Who am I? I'm not God. Well, he sends a letter to entreat the king of Israel to receive healing from Israel's God. Yes. So the, so, uh, the king of Israel reads the letter, and what does he do? He tears his clothes. Yeah. <laughs> like, just imagine that. 
it doesn't seem he really wants to even deal with Naaman, but Elisha wants to go forward and he sends a messenger and just tells him to go dip in the Jordan seven times and he'll be clean. What's interesting here again, too, is that moment where uh, the king of Israel is rending his clothes, but he's he reacts in this way. You know, just look and see how how he's trying to pick a quarrel with me. Right. He he can't read this entreaty to almighty God in the right way. Uh, So what does that say about the king of Israel um, at the at the time? But but that that moment of um, he's just so uh, he's so peaked. Yes. You know. As if it's some kind of, uh, he's getting this letter from somebody who's really trying to, uh, you know, take the mickey or something. Well, there's a lot of anger in this text because Naaman gets Elisha's message and he's angry. He's like, you know what? There's plenty of water around me. You know, you're not coming to me in person. We just hit, we just sent you 750 mil. You're not, there's not this big pomp and circumstance. You're not asking me to do anything particularly difficult what right. you ask, it seems really, really basic. Right. And then, you know, he makes this statement that there's lots of rivers and different bodies of water. Like, why do I have to go to this one? I could just. Yeah. Are not Abana, the, uh, the Farper, the, the rivers of Damascus, better than all of the waters in Israel? I got these beautiful rivers and then there's the Jordan, right? Like, <laughs> you know, whatever. I mean, you know, we love the Jordan River, but, you know, he's got a point, I guess, in a little bit because these are much more uh, perhaps uh impressive rivers. Could I not wash in them and be clean? Yeah. So then Elisha rebukes him and says, you know, if I'd asked you to do something difficult, you know, would you not have done it? Mm-hmm. How much more when all I said to you was wash and be clean? Right. So then Naaman concedes. I mean, he doesn't have much to lose. Right. And he goes down and he immerses himself seven times in the Jordan. And according to Elisha's word, he comes up and is Flesh is restored. The text says, like the flesh of a young boy. So he got a makeover. I mean, yeah. He's like brand new and <laughs> brand he's clean. Dude, yeah. And he returns to the man of God, he and all his company, and he stands before him. And this is what Naaman says Now I know that there is no God in all the earth except in Israel. Yeah. So there's not just a healing, but this conversion. Right. Yeah. And there's echoes of, oh, there's so many things. It's going to connect really well to the gospel text, which we'll get through. But you know, Father Matt is quick to observe that this uh, aligns directly with sacramental baptism. The aspect of, of, conf- of confession, repentance, water baptism, you know, healing, all of these things working in concert in the life of this sort of Gentile dude um, who has, you know, really doesn't understand. I mean, part of what's happening here with Naaman is that he does not understand what's at stake with this God of Israel at all. He just, he's coming this at this from the level of, I'm sick, I need to be healed, um, and I'm a man of great stature, what is your God going to do about it? And it turns out that Israel's God shows up in power. Yeah, if I were preaching, especially because All Saints Day is coming up in the beginning of November, and that's a principal baptismal feast in the church, mm-hmm. this could be an opportunity to really teach about baptism, because many of the fathers, as was their custom, saw this as speaking of baptism. If you'll just permit me two quick quotes. Well, the first one's not so quick. But (laughs) Gregory of Nyssa says this of 2 Kings chapter 5. He says, yes, and yet again, his disciple Elisha, when Naaman the Syrian, who was diseased with leprosy, had come to him as a suppliant, cleanses the sick man by washing him in the Jordan, 
clearly indicating what should come, both by the use of water generally and by the dipping in the river in particular. For Jordan alone of rivers, receiving in itself the first fruits of sanctification and benediction, conveyed in its channel to the whole world, as it were from some fount in the type afforded by itself the grace of baptism. These then are indications in deed and act of regeneration by baptism. Mm. So, of course, the Jordan River, it's not just some random river that Elisha picked. It's hugely important in the life of Exodus and the Gospels and connected with Christ's baptism and our baptism uh, as well. And then this one actually is short. Irenaeus said this. He said, It was not for nothing that Naaman of old, when suffering from leprosy, was purified upon his being baptized, but it served as an indication to us. For as we are lepers in sin, Mm. we are made clean by means of the sacred water and the invocation of the Lord. So cool. (laughs) So that might be a good segue to just jump ahead to the gospel. Sure. To Luke chapter 17, verses 11 through 19, which is the story of Jesus healing the 10 lepers, and he tells them to go show themselves to the priest. And as they're on the way, going to the priest to be declared ceremonially and lawfully clean, they are healed. Mm -hmm. And only one who is healed, a foreigner, a Samaritan, as Jesus identifies him, comes back and gives thanks to the Lord, which results in his conversion. Your your faith has made you well. And I think that's more than just his physical healing, right. but that he's come to see, like Naaman did, that there's a God in Israel, yeah, that and his res- son is the, Jesus Christ. Right. Uh, you know, and so many times in the New Testament, especially in the Gospels, you know, what, where, where things are happening, uh, some narrative clues, you know, on the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was going through the region between Samaria and Galilee. So it's, it's important that these things happen as Jesus is making his exodus to Jerusalem. It's also important, you know, it's a clue to uh, to somebody reading Luke uh, in his day. Well, if he's in the region between Samaria and Galilee, something's going to go down. Uh, it's not a comfortable place. Uh, and so there's um, there's aspects of, of dramatic tension there, of an expectation of some of some maybe a showdown uh, or some kind of um, some kind of conflict. And yet that's not what we see in this particular case. We see a miraculous healing. Isn't it funny? In both cases, in both texts, we were talking about this at lunch, Father. We were talking about this kind of custom, uh, customer service aspect of this, right? <laughs> like that seems well translatable to our current day, where uh, you know Naaman is this man of great importance who you know is ready to throw out all this money, and he's kind of not the guy at the counter doesn't get him what he wants, and so he throws a fit, but he still receives the grace of healing. You know, and because his his heart and his mind are open to what God is doing, he still confesses. But there's that moment of of, of humans humanity's pride. Oh, absolutely! He does not feel that Elisha, given his position, given the amount of money that they sent over to the king of Israel, doesn't feel that he's given him the respect and the attention that he deserves. Yeah, he feels slighted, slighted by his response. Yeah. But on the other side, Jesus kind of has that the on the customer service side, right? Isn't it? Wouldn't it be better if all ten of you showed up? 
you know, <laughs> but and glad for the Samaritan who by all accounts really shouldn't have showed up. You know, the Samaritans are the worst people ever, according to Jesus's countrymen. And yet it's, it's the foreigner, the Samaritan that, that shows, you know, that, that Lucan theme of to bring back the, the Bible project, they often bring up that upside down value of the kingdom uh, where they, where it's unexpected turn of events that the Samaritan, this foreigner is the one who, is uh, who returns to Jesus and makes and, and gets this extra blessing of get up and go your way. Your faith has made you well. The rest of them, the is probably Israelites, were not willing or not able or what probably not willing to come back to Jesus to give him thanks. And sort of a tertiary application. I'm not saying it's the main point of this text by right. any stretch of the imagination. But it does remind me as I'm sitting here how often when I experience the grace of God or someone else does, maybe God answers a prayer. We're mm-hmm. so quick just to move on yeah. instead of to come back and say, like, thank you, God, for your healing, for your provision, for your presence. And because that's an opportunity for us to deeper our union with him and recognize that he really is the giver of every good and perfect gift. And so yeah. when we get something that's good, it's from God and yeah. we should give thanks unto him, especially something like this. But so many times, even in a crisis, people are praying day by day for God to, to come through and he does. Then they just sort of move on to asking his help for the next crisis. Right. And it's easy for it to be God as genie or God as vending machine instead of yeah. God as our father. Right. Yeah. The Samaritan treats Jesus as family and had, there's an intimacy in that. And just in that little tiny conversation, that's not around a transaction. It's a recognition of God's holiness, goodness, uh, blessing the Samaritan. And that's, I think why Jesus is, uh, is so moved by that. You know, whenever I read this text, I read a, a little indignation in the way that Jesus responds. We're not 10 made clean, but the other nine, where are they? Was none of them found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, get up and go your way. Your faith has made you well. It's a, it's a, it's a strange heart space to be in if you're, if you're, in the mood to think of this in, in terms of our Lord's own headspace, heart space, even to, to read the disappointment of Jesus as even in a small way, he's rejected by his own. Yeah. I immediately think of John's gospel. He came to his own and they didn't receive him. Right. And sort of like, you guys should know better. Yeah, This yeah, guy's exactly. doing what you should yeah, be doing. Yeah, exactly. And therefore making the the transit to Jerusalem that much more poignant that well here they're rejecting him just by not giving him the courtesy of saying thank you well very soon we know that they will reject him even unto the cross so a lot you could do with an old testament gospel yeah interplay yeah, yeah. sacramental sermon and ecclesiological sermon you could do one on how salvation works, yeah. gratitude to God, forgiveness of sins, healing. It's, There's so many different dimensions. As to we it. record this, it's October of 2019, which is like fall stewardship season. There's a sense in which gratitude to God and, and, and seeing his faithful work in your life uh, as a parishioner, a congregant, you know, and, and like 
how do we make how do we make that work in our own lives as we want to give to the church's ministry? Um, you know that that even that hard word that I have trouble saying as a rector and priest is like, yeah, this stuff really matters and it's really effectual and you do receive the blessings of God and do you actually act in accordance with that blessing, with your material blessing? So, um, I know that a lot of our colleagues are are wrestling with how to be pastoral, kind, patient, but also uh, like myself concerned about the bottom line of the parish's ministry budget so and you will be very soon (laughs) you aren't already (laughs) we'll end just jumping over to the epistle which is second timothy chapter 2 verses 8 through 15 and again this is the apostle paul writing this letter to timothy knowing that he's not long for this world yeah and really just trying to pump him up and admonish him to hold fast to that which was entrusted to him. What was the thing you said when we were at lunch? You were like, I'm in jail and I can still do this. So, <laughs> well, no, There's a great line in there where he's talking about that he's suffering hardship on behalf of the gospel, on behalf of the crucified and risen Messiah. And he says he's suffering hardship even to the point of being chained like a criminal. Right. So there's a little bit of, I'm being mistreated as a Roman citizen. Yeah. I think there's a little bit of that in there. For sure. But then he says, but the word of God is not chained. In other words, there's this confidence that Paul has in the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, in this movement of the Holy Spirit, and the certainty of the church as the body of Christ and heaven on earth, that this thing is going to go forward. Yeah. And the gospel is going to be proclaimed and the word of God is powerful and effective, even if I'm sitting here chained up. Right. And do we have that sort of confidence in our ministry of word and sacraments? Well, thinking about it as, you know, putting once again ourselves in the place of Timothy, imagine the encouragement that comes from from Paul in this regard, right? This idea that... Um, you know, even for all, Timothy being, you know, a young man, a, a preacher, a, a, a minister, a church leader, uh, and and Paul is giving him this this sort of hard pep talk. Uh, and what encouragement we need as as Christians, as pastors, as priests, from folks who have, you know, done the hard work, that have the confidence of the Word of God and the Gospel of Christ, to be for us to be able to receive that. And I've mentioned this before. I think both of us have strong mentors in our life who, who take the time uh, to do this kind of work. And uh, how much eternal benefit is, uh, is shown forth by their work of encouragement in, in our lives. And so how that work of encouragement is borne out in the life of everyday Christians as well. And then also one of the things that's going on here throughout the letter is there some pastoral advice and yeah. leadership advice? Yeah. Because even, I shouldn't even say even, in the early church they dealt with division and heresy and false teaching just like we do today. Yeah. There wasn't this golden age of the church where everyone just believed the right thing and did <laughs> right. the right thing for like 50 straight years yeah. and then the problems came in. I mean, from the get-go there are issues. Yeah. And there's these, Paul makes mention of these people that are wrangling over words, maybe some sort of, sophistry or things that are going on in in Timothy's leadership. And so he admonishes him and I'm going to quote it in the King James because that's what I learned when I was a kid, but just a great uh, verse on 
knowing the truth and knowing the scriptures. And he says, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, which is a commission to us as priests, but also to all Christians to know the scriptures and to be able to give a reason, a defense for the hope that we have in us, even in the face of false teaching and division and heresy by which we are beset even to this day. And, you know, to bring all these great scriptures to head, I'm mindful of the 10th verse of Psalm 111, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and those who act accordingly have a good understanding and his praise endures forever. You know, Naaman brought into that recognition uh, the Samaritan man in the face of Jesus and Timothy this, in this admonition of Paul. May we all begin our course of wisdom by recognizing uh, the fear and reverence of, our, of Almighty God. And may, us, may we act accordingly, having a good understanding as we seek to praise him ever and ever. Amen. Amen. As always, we, uh, we hope that this work is an encouragement to you and, and, uh, and edifying to you as well. As we close out this, uh, this edition, we'll pray the collect for uh, St. Luke the Evangelist. Let us pray. Almighty God, who didst inspire, inspire thy servant Luke, the physician, to set forth in the gospel the love and healing power of thy Son, graciously continue in thy church the like love and power to heal, to praise and glory of thy name, through the same thy Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who liveth and reigneth with thee in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. All right. All right, guys. Hey, we have a great guest coming up at the end of the month. Stay tuned. I think you're really going to like it. Secret, secret guest. Secret guest. Secret, secret. All right. Bye. See you later. <laughs> Blessings. See you on the internet when we track your exact location and watch you eat golden crumbs on your couch. What? <laughs>